0: out the famous messianic property, uh, prophecy in Isaiah 61 and says, today this word has been uh, fulfilled before your eyes. And from that passage and from three other key moments in early in Luke, we saw that from the very beginning, Jesus' ministry, which he later shared with his followers, was one of God's word and of God's power. <coughs> First he, then his disciples at his command, went about preaching repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and proving that statement's truth by healing the sick, casting out demons, etc. And in what we call the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he commanded them to make their own disciples who would do the same. Making disciples who do the same, making disciples who do the same, making do the same making, and here we are. I'm convinced there is no sensible reason, logical or theological, why the mission of Christ's body, the church, should be any different from that of Christ, its head. An image you find in Colossians one eighteen and various other places. The church has changed, the world has changed a lot since the first century, but there's no good reason for thinking that the, the ministry of a disciple, the life of a disciple has We are called to be a church of word and power, people of the book and people of the spirit, both. And every Christian should remember that like our Lord himself, John 3.17, we who are now entrusted with this mission have been sent into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through us might be saved. That's a brief synopsis of last week's talk, but please listen to the podcast if you missed it. This morning what I'd like us to do is look a little more closely at our vision and go on to examine the underlying values that vision springs from. And values, of course, also condition the way that we outwork that vision in the world. Now these all have their roots in the entire Bible, not in one neat little passage. Sadly, so I'm just going to chuck out some Bible references for those of you who who, who like such things. But I can't really take it from one passage. By all means, grill me on the detail at pub church on Friday. Love to see you. In T. S. Eliot's Choruses from the Rock, which I stumbled across the other day, the modern world is characterised like this. All our knowledge brings us nearer to ignorance. All our ignorance brings us nearer to death, but nearness to death, no nearer to God. Where is the life we have lost in living? Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? These cycles of heaven in 20 centuries bring us further from God and nearer to the dust. But then comes the answering chant of the workman, which proposes a solution. A church for all and a job for each. Each man to his work. Even back in 1934, Eliot saw the spiritual state of the UK in those depressing terms. And we're bound to ask, what on earth would he think if he saw us now? But he also saw with prophetic insight the only kind of church that could turn the tide. And we might prefer to use more gender-neutral language, but this chant of the workman resonates profoundly with our vision and values in the kingdom vineyard. A church for all and a job for each, each one to his work. The church is God's answer to the spiritual bankruptcy we see around us. But that doesn't mean we should just immerse ourselves so completely in the church and in the Christian subculture that we disappear from the world Jesus came to save. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Matthew Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Unless we are as engaged with the world as we are with the church, how are we ever going to make and baptize new disciples as the Great Commission commands us to do? Rick Williams, in his excellent book, Uncomfortable Growth. Rick Rick Williams is is our former pastor and an an old friend of ours. Dr. Rick Williams, I should call him. Um, In his excellent book, Uncomfortable Growth, puts it like this. He says, the real challenge is not primarily about how to get people involved in the ministry of the church, but how to change things around so that the church is involved in empowering people for ministry in the world. It is thinking about how to equip and support the people of God where he has already placed them as his representatives. So the purpose of the church, Ephesians 4.12, has to be equipping the saints for works of service. I don't think we should say that the church, which the Bible does call the bride of Christ, is ever only a means to an end. It is much more important to God than that. But if we see this bride of Christ as some stunning model in a wedding magazine, you know, immunised from touch by her perfect hairdo and makeup, effectively immobilised by her clothing, we completely miss the point of the bride. The church is supposed to be a bride Jesus actually wants to do life with, a strong, intelligent, wholesome, wise, compassionate, infinitely capable person, prepared to go where he goes and do what he does. That is what we aspire to become. And if you think we're heading in the right direction, you probably will find a spiritual home here. My aim for the next 20 minutes or so, and I'm sorry time has run on today, is to do a quick run-through of our vision and value statement, and to answer the FAQs, as our friends in the computer world like to call them, the frequently asked questions as we go along. You'll find our doctrinal position in the Vineyard Church's Statement of Faith, which is available on the inflammation table at the back. We used to have a, uh, we've got a futility room at home, and that's an inflammation table. And anyway, we used to have infernal mail at the other church as well, didn't we? And the inflammation table at the back, the, the vision and um, uh, the statement of faith. So that is more about the what. This is supposed to be the how. The kind of culture we're trying to build here in the kingdom vineyard. So just whizzing through it, number one, our vision is for a church which constantly reaches up to God in worship and prayer, out to the community in evangelism and service, and into our own hearts as we use every means at our disposal to become more like Jesus. We spoke last week about making connections with God through our four W's, an intellectual hearing connection with the word of God primarily in the Bible and secondarily in prophecy. An emotional connection through the worship of God, by which we mean principally sung worship. A connection of the will through the works of God as we give and serve in the church and community. And a connection of body and spirit as we open up ourselves to receive and pass on the wonders of God in miracles and healing. Number 2 we want to build a church that will plant churches putting the needs of the gospel especially in Scotland before building up our own church there's a lot more to say about this but if the mere mention of church planting stirs a calling in you or you or you are looking to a tad predatory wow it's important If it does, then let's have a coffee sometime and see what we can do about getting you started in training. In my dreams, we would become a church that could identify a church planter the day she joined in first year. Then train her for four years alongside her degree course and send her out on graduation to go and do it. Three, we want to build a church that gives generously, not only through our own charity work, but through financial gifts to other churches and good causes. Every year, we give a tenth of the church's income to other charities in addition to other gifts, because that seems to us a biblical principle. It's one that Carol and I live by. We tithe to the church. The church tithes. In fact, we give more than a tithe, but there we go. Our accounts are freely available, if you're interested, through the Office of the Scottish Charities Regulator known as Oscar, and I think there's a a little bit of a financial breakdown on the boards at the back. The main point is that we're not inward-looking or stingy. We seek to bless what God is blessing, beyond the walls of our own little community. Four, we want to build a church on the offensive. Many people find us an offensive church, but that's not what we mean to be, and that's not what I mean. A church on the offensive, where people feel that they're part of something bigger, i.e. God's plan for this end of Fife for Scotland and the world, rather than a mere gathering of like-minded individuals huddled together for mutual support. The church growth expert, Eddie Gibbs, speaks of something he calls remnantitis, a spiritual disease of introversion where failure is expected. And it's really just a case of last one out, please turn the light off. We don't ever want to become introspective or withdrawn, even at times when we might be retrenching and rebuilding internally, as perhaps we have been over the last couple of years. Number five, we want to build a church where the Holy Spirit is welcome to do whatever he wants, in us and through us. We seek to display, in other words, both his fruits and his gifts. There's a wide spectrum of churches to choose from in this world, from the, the, the very so-called charismatic to the very so-called traditional. And a church like ours, which sits at neither extreme, probably seems extremely tame to some and completely off the chain to others. In fact, we're neither of those things. But we want to do more than merely tread the narrow tightrope of the middle ground. We want the Spirit of God to be free to do exactly what he wants here. But that doesn't mean that we were going to welcome uncritically every manifestation of something just because somebody thinks it might be the Holy Spirit. Those who lead our meetings really are leading. They wait and see if the God wants to change the plan. They listen out for words of knowledge or wisdom. They carefully assess any words or pictures that are brought to the front, typically during worship, and decide whether they're for now, for later, or just to be passed on to relevant people. We don't believe it's orderly, in terms of 1 Corinthians 14, to have people just shouting out in the middle of the meeting. But we do want to hear what God is saying to his church. I think that's probably enough on that one. Number six, we want to build a church where people's lives are changed. Through every type of healing, teaching, encouragement, and resourcing we can give them. Through God's grace. So that they become true Christ-like disciples. for us, discipleship is not a six-month course with a diploma at the end, and then you go and do something else. Biblical discipleship is lifelong learning. It's following Jesus through every day of our lives, gradually learning to do what he do, do what he does, think like he thinks, pray like he prays, say what he says, feel like he feels. We're always looking for ways of improving in this. But we do have a majority student membership, which means we need to be flexible, we need to think long-term. It's going to take us a while to achieve this. And having said that, looking around at churches with much longer histories than our own, we're not doing badly. We're only 11 years old. In terms of the World Cup, and I hope you all watched yesterday, if you haven't got the heritage and resources of South Africa, you have to play like Japan. Yes! Number seven, we want to build a church that impacts our whole community with God's blessing and his values. Again, we've made a start. And if you want to see more happening, then so do we. Unless you happen to be a highly motivated billionaire, in which case, let's have lunch very soon. (laughs) You might have to be patient, as we have been. Number eight, we want to build a church large enough to do these things without losing God's focus on our individual lives. Size, they say, is not everything. But it is something. Because the bigger we are, the more people we're discipling, the more people we can reach, the more lives we can change, the more God's kingdom can grow. At the same time, we never want to become so big that we become impersonal. And that, in eight short statements, is the kind of church we'd like to see here. And now here come the core values that will guide and sustain us on the journey. Not long to go, I promise, although we will get almost right through the alphabet. Very quickly. To these ends. That's a good legal phrase, isn't it? A, we value prayer as the wellspring of all God's work in and through the church. We'd love to see you at our prayer meetings. For us, prayer really is a two-way street. We expect God to speak to us as, uh, as we speak to him. And that's probably the primary place that his prophetic voice comes to us as a church. B, <clears throat> we value the Bible as the primary source of God's revealed wisdom. And that should speak for itself. Check out the Statement of Faith if you need to know any more about that. The Bible is our absolute benchmark. It's the foundations under our feet. It's the roof above our heads. It's most of the walls and windows as well. See, we value worship as the overarching purpose of our whole lives and of our meetings. And a key verse, if you want one, would be Romans 12, verse 1. But if you consult the catechism, you'll find that for centuries, worship has always been seen as the chief end of man. D, we value the individual as well as the broader body. I've got a broader body, have you noticed? We, uh, we strongly believe that what is good for the church is good for the church member and vice versa. In everything we plan, we aim to take account of the human costs, to maintain a healthy balance between church activities and the rest of life for every member. E, we value everyone equally, whatever their age, background, status, and gifting. Contrary to what you might have heard, there is no hierarchy of gifts in the kingdom of God. And certainly no hierarchy in personal importance. As Galatians three twenty eight makes crystal clear, no one is more important than anyone else. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, was fond of saying, everyone gets to play. And we look forward to the day when toddlers prophesy on the same platform as octogenarians are healing people. We don't, then, have a separate student ministry in this church, and we're not about to start one. Because even if you're a student, you might be committed and gifted. Who knows? In which case, let's make use of you, for goodness sake. When can you start, is the only question. Back to Elliot again. A church for all and a job for each. Each one to his work. You'll find students on our preaching team, leading groups, starting new ministries, giving time, energy and money and just doing everything that any other church member does. And the day might come when a student can do my job better than me. In which case, they're very welcome to it. F. We value mercy. Even above being right. (sighs) Because we won't always be right. With the best will and the best teaching and the best training in the world, we won't always be right. But we can always be merciful. If you search the teachings of Jesus, you'll find he said an awful lot more about humility, forgiveness, and generosity than he did about having a perfect theology. There are good biblical reasons for everything we think, believe, and do. And in the right settings, we'd be quite ready to give you a good argument if you really want one. But given the choice, a kingdom vineyard person would always prefer to win a friend over winning an argument. It comes back to the 1 Corinthians 2 principle. Not persuasive words, but the spirit of God and power. G, we value the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. We don't make a huge song and dance about it, but the spirit of God is fully invited into everything we do. We don't expect him to mess up our plans because we planned with him in the first place. But he's always free to change it up if he wants to give us a surprise. H, we value the poor. We regard it as a vital principle in all of Scripture. But if you want a key verse or two, check out Deuteronomy fourteen, sixteen, and 26, that God's people should always care for those less fortunate than ourselves. I, we value other churches and denominations. Obviously, if we didn't think this was the best church for us, we'd go somewhere else. But we quite understand that for others, a different kind of church will scratch where they're itching. God loves his whole church, and we feel the same. So you will see me active in the university chaplaincy, engaged in ecumenical prayers and services, often hobnobbing with the other ministers in town. J, we value people above programs. We'd actually rather close a ministry down than drive somebody into ill health. I myself am still technically on light duties at the moment for precisely that reason. Show business people are fond of saying, the show must go on. And we aren't afraid to ask, why? Okay, we value every opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. And we don't feel any real need to stick our name on it. We don't care how the kingdom comes, as long as it does. When we started Storehouse nine years ago, we never put our name on it. Because we saw the potential for it being something all the churches in St Andrews could be involved in. And now they are. We house it, we staff it, we finance it. We're also the biggest donators to it in terms of food. But it isn't ours, it belongs to the body of Christ. It's not about us, it's about getting a job done. L, we value effectiveness. If it works, we'll do it again. If it doesn't, then why bother? It might sound crazy, but a lot of churches just get stuck with the same activities, year in, year out, out of sentiment. We've always done it this way. Well, you can expect us to assess before an event or program what it's going to cost in time, energy, and money, and what results we expect to achieve. And afterwards, we'll have a look. Did we get the results we wanted? What did it actually cost? Wimby used to say, the wonderful phrase, he said, your church is perfectly designed to get precisely the results you're achieving. If you want different results. <laughs> M. We're getting there, I promise. This is a a matching pair. We value meeting in small groups for relationship and accountability, and we value meeting in large groups for encouragement and celebration. The primary unit of pastoral care in this church is the home group. It's not a pastor, not a lay mentor, not not even the home group leader. It's the group itself. That way, all the various gifts of the Holy Spirit represented in that group engage with our lives. Everyone gets to play. The whole group grows individually and corporately in their faith and in their familiarity with operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We gain confidence to share our lives with others. And the list of benefits goes on and on. Now, of course, Carol and I do engage in some one-on-one pastoring when necessary. But this way, the group way, makes, better, makes for much better discipling. It's just more effective than any kind of one-man ministry. When you think about it, even Jesus only managed to disciple 12. That means if I'm really good at it, I could possibly manage 8. Well, tough on the rest of you then. But if we engage the whole church in the process. Anyway, N. We value social meetings as well as spiritual ones. If we don't know each other, we can't actually trust each other. And the Christian masks we put on the day we first discover we're not perfect, can remain glued to our suffering faces for the rest of our lives. This special prayer-meeting voice, the big black Bible tucked under the arm, the stern but loving glare, (laughs) the correct clothing, and no intention of letting our guard down, not ever, not for no one. My... Personal attitude to home group social events changed completely one day many years ago during a game of Jenga, of which I couldn't see the point, until the woman I was playing against, a very prim and proper woman, pulled out the wrong bit, it all fell down, and she said a rude word. (laughs) At which point I thought, oh, you're not perfect. That means the fact that I'm not isn't such a terrible shame. I could just relax a little bit. So I didn't have to be perfect either. So yes, we do. We do pub church. We have parties. We have we have pub quizzes. Indeed, Well wasn't that good on Friday night? Uh, newcomers suppers, oldcomers suppers, home group socials, all the rest. We value these things, as they say in the wire. Dat how we do. Read the Gospels and see how many key encounters with Jesus took place at the meal table, not at a meeting. Come to Kirsty's due tonight, if you doubt it. Oh, nearly there. We value four normal church life disciplines. These are the things we do, not as a favour to anyone else, but as a favour to ourselves. Regular attendance. Sunday service, prayer meeting, team meetings, if you're serving in, in young vineyard or tech or worship or storehouse or whatever. If you're part of something, turn up. Two, membership of a home group. Covered that already. Three regular giving. Jesus did say, Matthew six twenty one, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And if you're a student, this can be a difficult question, but your giving should be fairly divided between your home church and your uni church. If you haven't yet established a habit of a lifelong habit, it will be of financial giving. These are the years to do it in. The years after you leave school are absolutely key. If you don't get it right now you probably never will for service in John 13 John John's last supper narrative as you remember know, it opens with Jesus washing the disciples' feet and he didn't do that because he had a really fulfilling international ministry of foot washing he did it because it needed done and no one else was doing it even on his way to the cross he washed their feet and he taught us to be the same as him A servant heart is the first and best indicator of leadership potential. And it's certainly the first thing I look for. P. We value every gift of the Holy Spirit, not just some. That means we value them equally and in all our meetings, however informal, but also out there in the everyday world as well. We don't want to make room in all of our life for all of the gifts the Spirit has given His church. Now that's not disorder, it's good stewardship of all good things God has given us. We're supposed to invest our talents, not bury them. Matthew 25. Q, we value personal spiritual disciplines such as fasting, silence, solitude, study and the rest. This was the ancient practice of the, the Celtic church as well as the Roman church. There's no reason to be suspicious of it. We value them too. R, which is the last one, we value church planting as the most effective way of expanding God's kingdom. Once again, if something stirs in your heart at the phrase, I've almost given up on the idea that we'll ever plant a vineyard church in Scotland other than this one. And I've come to the conclusion that's probably okay. We are happy to have played our little part in producing five ministers so far in the Anglican Communion, Baptist, Independent, Church of Scotland and several workers in various missions overseas in different parts of the world. As yet, no vineyards. But watch this space, not the first. Watch this space. If that's your calling, we'll be only too happy to help. And our vision and value statement concludes with the most important statement of all. Above all, we value Jesus himself, whose church this is. Next week, I promise, we'll return to some proper Bible teaching. As we begin our fabulously exciting series on Hebrews. But at this point in the year, we'd just like to take these two talks to just identify clearly who we are. So those of you who are seeking uh, a church can make an informed decision. Those of you who are thinking, maybe it's time I left this church. uh, Be reminded of what we're actually about. You know, just, it's a good thing to be open about these things. This is who we are. So if this is the church for you, you're very welcome, get stuck in. If you're not sure, then you're very welcome to stick around. And if it's not, then God bless you in the church that is. And doubtless, we'll see you some other time.